Hey guys, welcome back to my podcast. This is Journeys with Jen, and I'm Jennifer Griego. And I climb like hell through the brush and the bramble. Even though I had my doubts, told myself don't look down. And I turned that hill into a pile of gravel. It was only a mountain, nothing but a big old Today, I'm very excited for this podcast. I'm here with Vigil Trevady. Um, she is the author of Breast from Salt, A Deadly Genetic Disease, A New Era in Science, and The Patients and Families Who Change Medicine Forever. Um, this book was released in September of this year. It is a very interesting book. I have loved reading it. Uh, it's about basically the history of CF, which was very interesting for me to learn. Um, it focuses on the story of this young boy, Joey, and his journey through CF. Um, and then it also kind of goes back and refers to uh, the discovery of the disease itself, the gene treatments, and all of those things. It's very interesting. And I have loved reading it. It's also very scientific, so it kind of caught me off guard sometimes when I was a little bit lost because I'm not that into the science of it all, but it was still very interesting to learn. Um, and then Vigil, the author, um, is it was so amazing to read about her as well. Um, so in her undergraduate, she was focused on, like, biochemistry and molecular biology at Oberlin College. Um, and then from there, she got a master's degree in molecular cell and developmental biology at UCLA. Um, obviously, all those are very scientific, but with her love of writing, uh, she kind of drew to journalism rather than just sticking in a lab and doing research and stuff like that. Um, so she got a second master's degree in science journalism from New York University, um, and now she lives in Washington, D.C. with her husband, Chad, and her two kids. Um, and obviously, this book just came out, and it took her about seven years to write. I think that's what I read. Um, so it, it was kind of a lot, a little bit. And then also, my mom, she's here with us today. Um, Carol, kind of forget to say her name sometimes, but my mom's name is Carol. <laughs> uh, she is a pediatrician. Uh, she retired when I was born because I basically became her full-time patient. She was my full-time mom, living doctor, all of those things a mom does, plus um, all of the doctor roles she took in for me. Um, she's very involved with the local chapters here at the CF Foundation. Um, and since my birth, she's gotten so involved and is now on the National Board of Trustees with the CF Foundation and all of that stuff. Um, and for those of you who don't know me, um, I have cystic fibrosis, which is what this book is about. So I have a little bit of that personal touch and those personal experiences um, that uh, I can kind of bring to, like, listen, when I, um, I listen to the audiobooks. When I say listening instead of read the book, that's why. Um, and so when I was hearing those stories, it really kind of hit home because, like, that's what I lived through. And so, yes, so that was a lot. But Vigil, um, so kind of, look, like, reading about – I obviously read about all of this stuff – but I kind of want to hear your take on how you got involved with, like, the CF community and um, just, like, this book, this book specifically kind of coming from where you were in, like, journalism and, like, the medical side of it to uh, – and, like, the scientific side – to CF specifically in, like, this book. So, well, thank you for that introduction. That was 
that was great. I appreciate Thank that. Um, so yeah. I first got started on the cystic fibrosis story seven years ago when my editor um, at Discover Magazine asked me to look into a story about a new drug. And the new drug was named Kaleidico, which for your listeners was the first drug that actually um, addressed the root cause of cystic fibrosis but it was only a treatment for about 4% of patients. And so, you know, I had never, you know, I don't have cystic fibrosis in my family. I'm Indian, so it's, it's not a common disease for us. Um, but I thought, okay, this is, this is kind of weird. Why would anyone just make a drug for 4% of, of patients? And so I started digging into the story, and I started meeting families and scientists. And Bob Bell, the head of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation at the time, and I got sucked into this amazing story of a community that came together in 1955 um, to fight this disease. And you know, it uh, it took. Um, seven years to do the reporting, but, you know, I was writing that whole time. Drugs were being developed. I was also working. Um, so it took a while to do, but it, it, I just got completely absorbed by the community and by the story. Yeah. Um, one thing I've learned as I've been growing up is it really is such a tight-knit community, especially for, um, so for those of you who don't know, CS people, cannot be like in the same room together. They can't be basically have to be six feet apart. So basically quarantine rules that apply to the whole world right now apply to CS people when they're around each other. Um, so because of that, what I have noticed is the parents and family and friends are such a close knit community and everyone almost knows everyone. And so as I've grown up around that whole, um, like the local chapter and the, some stuff with the national, um, it's such a tight-knit community, and I've loved uh, being able to experience that as I've grown up, especially because there are people who I don't even know or may not remember who I met when I was young or heard my story through my mom, and they see me and they meet me, they're like, oh, my gosh, like, how are you? You look so good, if I'm healthy at the time. Um, like, you look so good, and then they almost, like, know kind of what I'm going through, even though, like, I've never actually talked to them. So it's very um, heartwarming to be around them. Because it's almost like we're family, even if we just met. So that's what I've loved growing up with that. Yeah, I was um, I was amazed by how tight knit the community was and how how everybody really worked together. I'd never seen such a, a cohesive um, health nonprofit work together so tightly with the with the patient community and the scientific community and philanthropists. I mean, it was just a story unlike anything I had ever come across before. It was amazing. Yes. Um, Thank God you did, Dijal. Yes. One thing I loved about reading the book um, was obviously growing up with this disease, like I kind of knew the shorthand what all these drugs were for and what all the medications they took were were for. And a lot of times, since my mom's a doctor, I kind of would zone out and just let her listen and then kind of go with whatever they told me. Um, as I've grown up, I've tried to revert and, like, revert from that and pay more attention and be more involved. Um, but reading the book and listening to it, it was so interesting because it was so scientific that even though I was lost, 
quite a few times. I didn't know what was happening. Um, most of the time when I was hearing about certain medications, especially because it's about, like, I'd almost forget that it's actually a real story and, like, this is the life that we're living. Um, I would listen to it and I'd be like, oh, what medication is that? And then it'd be like, oh, Palmaton. I was like, oh, my gosh, I take that. And I didn't realize that's what it did because they always told me, like, oh, this, like, moistens the lungs and helps you cough up mucus. And I was like, okay, cool. But, like, hearing the scientific, like, how they discovered it and how they, like, came up with the drug, I was like, oh, this is actually what it, like, scientifically does and this is its purpose. So I love that because it kind of helped me look at it, my disease, from a different angle and understand truly, like, what kind of went in and goes into everything, which I just love to learn about because it just helps me, like, look at it just a little bit differently. That's, that's really heartwarming to hear because, you know, as a, a former scientist, um, I love explaining the science behind things. And I feel like, you know, a lot of people can, you know, when, when you start reading the academic science, you know, it can be boring, it can be overwhelming, and it can be full, filled with jargon. But, you know, I think what was so exciting to me was the opportunity to get to talk about you know, um, this disease in very visual terms um, mm-hmm. so, that pe- so that it would help people understand. And, you know, whether that was making a lot of analogies um, with the mucus and the lungs and, or, you know, whether it was talking about cells and how the drugs were like little doormen opening the doors and closing mm-hmm. the doors. And um, it, it was really exciting to be able to write the story and and try and write the science for a lay audience um, mm-hmm. without the jargon. Yeah, I think I you mean, did a great job. Yeah, no, go ahead. I was Mom. just going to say, I thought, I just thought it was a, the book was a great example of it being a combination between a novel and a textbook. Um, and the textbook being very visual, you have some great illustrations in there. And they're the way you laid out the book by chapter, it was really helpful in that you can reference those chapters if you really wanted to know basic um, science on it. It was really quick to find um, and how you intertwine Joey O'Donnell's life uh, throughout your chronological uh, approach to the story of CF was really great. Um, so it's going to be one of those books that you can keep on your shelf because it's a novel, it reads like a novel, but you can reference it when you don't really understand a certain aspect of it, you can kind of read it again and it comes back to you in very simple terms. So you did a great job with that. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Yeah. That means a lot coming from, coming from a pediatrician. I really appreciate that. <laughs> and I'm definitely excited. So I'm an undergrad right now. I'm a freshman at Texas Christian. Um, and my major is biochemistry, so I haven't quite learned all the scientific stuff. I've gotten, like, the high school and the freshman chemistry version of it. But I definitely want to go back and reread all that stuff kind of once I get a better understanding of it because I was talking to my mom. I was like, Mom, what are these markers and the gene and, like, what is happening? And she's like, Jen, I don't really remember. And I was like, okay, I'll figure it out. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to, like, once I really learn that stuff to go back and kind of, like, understand it on another level that I don't quite understand now. Well, that, that, that is an exciting part of this story because, you know, each one of these developments for cystic fibrosis sort of laid out a foundation for the, the field of medicine. You know, when the, the CF mm-hmm. gene was found, 
um, only a few genes had been found by then, and this was, you know, 10 years before the Genome Project even started. So it was really sort of path-breaking science, and, and the cystic fibrosis community has continued to do that through the whole history of the disease, which I just find amazing. You know, breakthrough, mm-hmm. breakthroughs that have been made in cystic fibrosis then sort of spill over to other diseases and other fields. So in a way, this little rare disease is sort of informing the whole field of medicine and scientific discovery. And that, when I discovered that, that really blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. Um, and then, so one, also one thing about the book that I loved was your quote before each chapter. Um, I loved how you quoted so many different people, but they all had some relevance to what that chapter was talking about or what had been talked about. I'm like, during that section of the book. So how did you kind of come up with that? Because I thought that was very, very interesting, and you don't see that, like, often at all. Um, during the course of reporting, I, I came a lot across a lot of really wise people who said things that just mm-hmm. shook me and, and moved me. And also, you know, I, I read a lot of – I read a lot, and, you know, books in the medical profession, there are common themes – so I discovered, you know, some quotes from other physicians that I thought were very applicable to this story. But, you know, there are also chapters that, that um, I think I have a James Bond quote in one of the chapters. <laughs> um, and, you know, when you're watching a movie, you're just like, oh, my God, this is exactly what Bob Bell did for cystic fibrosis, mm-hmm. but James Bond mm-hmm. is doing this now. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, my brain, my brain is kind of weird. I I try and draw on a lot of different sources of inspiration, and the quotes were fun, and uh, yeah. I really I had a good time with them, and I I like using quotes to sort of provide the flavor of what's going to come in the chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a nice kind of breakup of what I was like, what we were hearing, and then kind of like you said, like some of them were like from like James Bond or something. So it was like. Sometimes like, I would, like, make me laugh when I, like, read the, who, like, actually said the quote. I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. Like, that's um, not just, like, some tiny scientific professor that I didn't know who they were. Um, and then also one of the quotes was from Bill Gates. And Bill Gates, I didn't realize how much of a role they played in the, like, CF Foundation early on. They donated, like, $20 million, I want to say in the 80s or something like that, um, to the foundation, which kind of blew me away. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's insane. And then he also gave you such a good review and wrote an article about your book, which um, Charles Colmark, who's on our foundation um, here in Arizona, he, I was telling them how I was reading the book, and so he started talking to us about that, and he sent us the article. And so, um, so it was really cool to see that because it was just um, – because when I hear people, like, for me – um, since CF is like rare, but also like it's the most common genetic disease, but it's also like an orphan disease, so it's rare. So when I hear people like Bill Gates who kind of have a connection to it, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so cool. And then when I hear they donated the foundation, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's even cooler. And then they like read your book. And I, anyway, it was just like all, it was like really interesting to learn. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. I thought that was really cool. Uh, Bill Gates played an amazing and, and, and largely hidden role in this 
mm-hmm. in the development of these drugs, which I just thought was fascinating. But it, I thought it also demonstrated that, you know, he can really appreciate um, where the science can go if the funding is there. And he, yeah. he thought the science was so exciting and so far-reaching that, you know, the gambling on this, so to speak, was a, was a good bet. And, you know, if it weren't for his funding, I'm not sure where the drug development would be at the moment. But uh, it, he mm-hmm. certainly, you know, gave the process a huge jump start and saw, you know, thought this was really exciting science. And, you know, it was kind of, it was kind of like the science of the impossible, you know, because nobody had ever mm-hmm. made, a pro- made a drug that could, you know, make a protein behave properly. And it was sort of thought to be a crazy idea. But, you know, he embraced the, the founding idea and then, you know, it just gathered steam. Mm-hmm. And what I also loved about reading it was, um, obviously I can't speak to other foundations and other, <clears throat> like, diseases and stuff, but with the CF Foundation, from what I learned from the book, is there are so many people advocating, like, for people like me, like Bob Bell and the CF Foundation and all of the researchers and stuff, um, they would just, like, push to get donations and push, like, Vertex and all the other pharmaceutical companies that they were working with to make a drug, to do that. And so it was just so, like, amazing to hear how much they were pushing even if they didn't have an exact, like, personal connection, like if their kid didn't have it, but they kind of knew someone who had CF or they just became affiliated with the foundation, everyone um, or people that you learn, like you hear about, they somehow get touched by a CF story, and then they get so invested, and they're pushing like Bob Bell does to get donations and for Vertex and those pharmacies to work and make drugs. And the things they have come up with, especially, like, in the past, 30 years is insane. The amount that the life expectancy has changed and the lives in general for CF people is just so amazing to kind of not only grow up with it, but also look back on it and see the evolution of it all. Did you have a sense of how many people were, were pushing to make these drugs? Did you have a sense of that before? I mean, I, I think as I've gotten older, I've realized, like, how big the foundation is. But when you hear kind of each specific person and how much they work to get those donations, um, it really opened my eyes to how hard everyone in the, in the foundation works to get to where we are today. I, it just really, like, made me realize, like, how methodical everything is. And it's not just, hey, come donate. It's, like, targeted, and they are talking to the companies and being like, I need you to make this drug. I'm paying you to make this drug. We need to fix this problem. And so I just, like, loved hearing that because it kind of makes you feel like people are advocating for you while you can't advocate for yourself. It is. It's an amazing community. But, you know, you and your mom know that from being part of it. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. as as someone who had no personal connection to this disease, I just found that incredible. Um, and that was, you know, that was part of the reason I wanted to write the book because, you know, I met people like the O'Donnells who were so committed to fundraising and, and, and finding treatments for these disease, for this disease, even though, you know, they had lost their child. And I was, mm-hmm. I was so moved by that. And that's, you know, that's, they're not the only ones in the community who are like that. Um, 
it's it's really impressive. Mm-hmm. And I think yes. what's really, really admirable is the partnership between parents and the scientists and the researchers and just the CF Foundation staff because I think the common denominator among them all is how relentless and how dedicated they are in making progress um, and making progress at a pace that's going to make a difference for their loved one. Um, And whether you had CF in your family or not, they adopted our relentlessness and our passion to speak to them about making the change. And so in our lifetime, Jennifer's lifetime, it's tremendous progress that other diseases and other nonprofit, you know, healthcare charities look to us like, how have you made that progress in such short a time? Because we all understand, you know, basically science is one step forward, two steps back. Um, And I understand that as a physician that I was very um, cynical about progress, thinking, gosh, you know, is there going to be a drug uh, or any kind of medication that's going to stop or halt cystic fibrosis and let Jennifer at least get you know, a baseline and then not continue to decline. And I just didn't think it was going to happen in, in her lifetime. And um, we continued to fight and continued to fight because it had to happen. And I think that common thread among us all um, really made this story the best story in medicine because nobody gave up, no one is giving up, and we still have a ways to go. But it's such an impressive, wonderful mission to be on and I'm just real proud to be part of it and if it meant you know Jennifer you know she's joining our our fight too and it's just awesome that she's doing well and she's learning about the passions that we all have it's just it's been it's been a great journey for 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 me it's exciting that you know the parents were really able to in many ways regulate the timeline for all of these developments. And I think mm-hmm. that that is one thing that's so exciting, like the parents together with the foundation really pushed, you know, to have this drug development on the fast track without, mm-hmm. without compromising safety in any way. And just the speed, you know, the fact that there have been four drugs approved within seven years it's just amazing. Um, and, and though they took longer than seven years to develop, that, you know, that steady rollout is, has been, you know, life transforming for many patients, as you know. And I couldn't believe that such advances could happen so quickly. But this community is, uh, has really paved, paved the way for many diseases and, and many foundations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it really has. And I remember, I want to say I was 12 or 13, and we had a big um, party at our house, I think, for one of the conferences there. And I believe it was Bob Bell who was saying that um, he projected a cure uh, in about 30 maybe or so years. Um, And I remember reading the book, like, everyone thought once they found the gene, the cure was right around the corner. But this disease is so complicated in the way that it works. That obviously is not the case. However, since finding the disease, they have made so many <clears throat> medications that have helped so much. And like Gladico, like you said, didn't actually, I was never on it. It didn't apply to me. It didn't help um, my mutations. Um, so I'm double, I'm double Delta. So it didn't apply to me. 
Um, I and then I've also been on multiple clinical trials since I was twelve, like four or five. Um, and so I was on the trial for Simpico, which um, I had an infection while I was on the trial, so it didn't really make a difference. But we're not quite sure if it's because of the infection that I had or not. Um, but I was on a clinical trial for Trikasta, and I've never felt a medication do to me what that medication did to me. Um, I so we had there was a placebo period, but it was only about a month, and. I was on it, and as, when you're on a clinical trial and you're on a placebo, everybody asks you, or if you're, like, during the placebo period, everyone's like, do you have placebo? Do you have these drugs? <clears throat> like, can you tell? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I coughed, like, one more today than I usually do. Maybe, like, you're very in tune to what you, um, to the cough that you have. And I was like, I'm not sure. But once I got on active drugs, it was, like, night and day difference. Um, I've never felt that before. It was almost like a 12-hour kind of turnover, and I was coughing up, like coughing up a lung almost, but I was, it was productive. It wasn't just like, because I, I wasn't just coughing. I was like coughing up mucus, and just, I was being like it, was like, it was a productive cough and not just like a sick cough, and even my sinuses started to clear up. I've never had like big sinus issues, um, <clears throat> but I talked a little bit kind of nasally almost, but I never had to have, like, sinus surgery or anything like that, like some CF people do. Um, but I remember asking my parents, I was like, do I sound different to you? Because I'm echoing in my own head. Um, and they're like, no, Jen, you sound fine. And I was like, are you sure? And they're like, yes. <laughs> um, but then I realized, like, looking back on videos, like, it was trichasta because it had cleared up my sinuses and I was coughing. <clears throat> I started hearing myself differently and my sinuses were clearing up. And I didn't even realize I was congested in my sinuses until – they started clearing up. Um, and I was talking to my mom about it a few days ago, and she's like, Jen, I heard when you started getting congested in your sinuses, you were like 12, and I heard the difference. Um, and I never noticed. But now I look back on videos of myself talking, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I sound so much different now than I did then. Um, and so what I learned, like, through CF is everything kind of happens so slowly, you almost don't notice it until, it, like, something switches and you get better. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, I didn't realize how bad I was until I got better. And Trikafter was just one of those things where it was night and day difference. And the effect it had on me, like, in the trial just blew me away. And then even reading it in the book kind of made me emotional again. Like, it got approved by the FDA so quickly, and everyone's life just started changing. And it was just so amazing to see. And there was, like, such a bond that I felt with everyone because it truly changed all of our lives for the better. And reading about it again, uh, or reading about it after experiencing it like two years ago or a year ago, um, just it was so touching because that medication just has seriously changed everything. And I, I, I don't know where I'm going with that, but that just like was one of the things that truly just like changed my life at the researchers that they came up with, which is so amazing. And when you say it, you know, it's it's completely changed your life. What are you able to do now, or what? What are you able to do with your family now that you couldn't do before? I mean, um, like, what, um, I can still pretty much do everything. I think the thing that has changed for me, especially, like, in the past year, um, is that what, and what I realized, like, a few weeks ago was, like, I'm healthy now, and I usually, like, I say that I'm fine and I'm doing okay, but like, getting results back from my doctor, um, like, I don't have the infection that I had for, like, seven years. I had pseudomonas, <clears throat> and 
like I I'm at a point in my life where I'm not doing my medication to fight an infection or to fight a battle. I'm doing it to keep my baseline. And I don't remember the last time that I've been like that. I, I've always been fighting something and trying to stay um, healthy from something. But I'm at a point now where I'm as healthy as I've pretty much ever been in the recent years. And my lung function is like the highest it's been in like 10 years. Um, and so I'm just fighting to keep my baseline, but I'm not fighting to fight back from what something that I have, which is something just very different to experience. So do you have more energy? Do you, you know, what, what, you know, what are you able to do now that, you know, would have been hard before? Um, my mom saves time on therapy. Um, I think everything's kind of been relatively the same. I Sometimes, like, when I was sick, I would do three treatments a day instead of two. Um, Mom, you can probably talk to this better than I can because everything kind of blurs together for me. Um, but, yeah, I'll, yeah go ahead, uh, I'll just chime in that I think um, Jennifer's demeanor changed. Um, you know, her – she had a little, you know, jump in her step. I think she, you know – both your dad and I would say to each other, gosh, she feels good. She feels better. Um, because just um, when you feel better, um, you talk more. You have more expression in your face. And these are subtle things, but um, these are things that parents noticed. And that was such a joy in my heart. And the other bigger thing that TriCAFTA has done is basically allowing you to have a future that you can realize. So going away to college was really, I know it was a dream of yours, Jen, but for your dad and I, it was a worry because we thought we may not be able to make that happen for you. Um, and it is. It's a reality. You're going. Um, you're not going now because of COVID, but um, mm-hmm. you haven't been healthier than you are now to be able to be on your own um, and manage your meds on your own. Um, so, And then having a future. Your, your plan is, as a parent, you know, you – can now just relax and go, the future is hers. And just like any other child you have, but when you have a child with a chronic illness, unfortunately, you know, the future is not theirs because there's too many things that get in the way of that, that you try to fight as a parent. But now you're willing and gladly celebrating that, Jennifer, your future is yours. Go get it. Um, mm-hmm. That's the biggest gift that Tricafta has, has given has given us, but it's the gift started 30 years ago. You know when you know the gene was identified, when all the scientists worked so hard to kind of just get one step forward to try to understand what CF does to the to the lungs and to the body, and every little bit of that made such a difference to where we are today. That um, I'm just so grateful that people have passion for this disease because it's given life to our daughter, Jennifer. That's amazing to hear. That is so exciting. Mm-hmm. And, like, to my treatments and stuff, as much as I would like to lower the amount of stuff that I do, um, since it's only been about a year since TriCAPT has, like, been approved, and I've only been on it for about two years, all my doctors are kind of like, let's wait and see if, you kind of keep the baseline. And so they're kind of holding off on pulling back on treatments because it's still really, really soon. 
Um, so as much as I would love to pull back on treatments that I have to do, they're kind of waiting to see how everything kind of pans out to then decide what to do and how to go about that. So that's kind of why everything's still relatively the same regarding that. Oh, I see. I see. So you're sort of in a holding pattern because they want to see long-term whether all these, all the benefits are going to stay. Yes. Yeah, that's pretty much. Um, Okay. Also, I have one of my other questions that I was interested about. Um, So obviously with the book and everything and all the research you did, I'm sure you talked to so many people, um, but like kind of what were the main people you talked to um, to kind of get all the information and all the stuff that you kind of put in the book? Oh, goodness. I talked to probably about 250 people. I interviewed about 250 people um, to, to get all the research for this, for this book. And, mm-hmm. you know, some people weren't named in the book, but they, they gave me a huge amount of help with the background of the story or details of the disease or helping me understand the science. So it was, it was a huge production. Um, you know, getting the early parts of the story were, were difficult because, you know, the, you know, very few people living now knew Dorothy Anderson, the woman who characterized this mm-hmm. disease. Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time hunting for people that might have known her. Um, to learn more about her personality and her and what she was like as a physician. Uh, so, yeah, about, about 250 people, is, as crazy as that may sound. Wow, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's only a lot. Even, it takes that many uh, people to put this story together, but it's such a great, um, uh, really detailed story, but also very personal. So we're able to understand each character as it's brought up. So I, I love that, that you begin to, because I know the names, having been in, obviously, the CF world for these many years, um, it's nice to actually have a little bit of personality that was along with their discovery or, their, or what they added to the, to the understanding of CF. So it was, you did a great job. Did you, like, record your conversations and then go back and transcribe them? I did. I, I recorded every single conversation. Uh, I am actually dyslexic, so uh, oh the whole writing process is a little convoluted for me. Uh, and I had someone to help me transcribe all the, all the tapes of all the conversations. So I probably have about a thousand hours of interviews that had to be transcribed for this story. And then from that, I picked and, and chose parts to tell, and but I really I really couldn't have done it without all the people I spoke with. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've I've only mentioned a fraction of them in this book because, I mean, already some people found that there were so many characters that it was hard to keep track of, but you know, there's so many who are not mentioned, um, who did foundational work for this disease, who figured out the science behind, you know, how the, the cells were working or not working. And, you know, it broke my heart not to be able to mention everyone, but, you know, 250 characters would have been a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, it was definitely, there's just 
it, like I said earlier, it showed me how many people were involved in everything um, from start to current day. Um, and one thing, because I would get so kind of absorbed into this book while I was listening to it, because um, I've been doing some work for my dad's scan and charts, so I would just listen to the book and, like, do the work. And I would almost forget that this was, like, <clears throat> a totally true story and that everything that I was listening to uh, had happened or was, like, in the midst of happening. Um, and I, I um, and there was at one point at the beginning of the book when I was reading about, um, like, Joey and his story and all of the kids and kind of growing up with CF and the diagnosis at the time, it almost scared me to a point where I was like, oh, my gosh, that disease would be terrible. Like, I would hate to have that. And then it would click. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is what I have. Like, this is what I grew up with. This is what my mom dealt with. You know, this is what she helped me with as I was growing up. And so it kind of – there were points where I would forget that this was a true story and that this was the life I was living. And um, it was just crazy every time I snapped back into it. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is my life. Like, this is kind of what I've already gone through and what – in some terms, what I've avoided having to go through because of all the scientific discoveries they've made since um, it, they discovered it and, since, and before I was born. That's what I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. So was it, was your diagnosis early in your life? Was it, you know, was it at birth? Uh, yeah, I was at uh, like seven days old. I had, um, oh my gosh, mammalia, what's it called again? Laconium ileus. Meconium ileus, thank you. I combine them. Um, but I have meconium ileus, so I was diagnosed at about a week old when they diagnosed me. But my mom kind of had a feeling that something wasn't right. Like almost every single mom in the book, they always had that feeling that something wasn't right, even though the doctors were like, no, you're fine. Um, my mom had that feeling when I was born that my tummy was a little distended and she could like feel the <clears throat> like my intestine, like something wasn't right. Uh, and so they did, they did the test. Um, and I had surgery at about a week old to remove part of my intestine that they couldn't clear up. Uh, so, yeah, I was diagnosed at, at about a week old. So, Carol, did still- you, were you the reason that she was diagnosed so early? Um, kind of, only because um, when she was born, um, she was fine for the first couple of hours, and um, she, um, I just happened to comment, obviously, you know, taking care of newborns, um, I wasn't examining her. I was just enjoying holding her, and I just kind of felt kind of an unusual thing in her abdomen. I thought, that's kind of strange, and then I ignored it. And then I just happened to ask the nurse, had she pooped yet? And she said no. And I said, okay, and I just tried to put it out of my mind. And um, so I just late. my husband was with me when Jennifer was just born. She stayed a couple of hours. My husband stayed a couple of hours at the hospital, and I sent him home to be with our, our almost two-year-old son. So um, I just laid in bed waiting for her to poop, and it just went hour by hour by hour, just watched the clock spin, and I just waited, and it was about 3 in the morning when I asked the nurse practitioner, I said, can you just, um, she hadn't pooped, it had been, she goes, well, it's not 24 hours yet. I said, yeah, I know, but would you mind just, um, you know, you do a rectal uh, temperature with babies. So I said, can you do that next time you do your temperature? And maybe that will stimulate a bowel movement just to settle my, my nerves about her not pooping. It's only been like hour number 20. But I, I wanted to settle my nerves. I didn't have any suspicion that CF would happen. Um, there was no one in our family. And I'm Irish Catholic family, big, large, on um, both sides, my mom and dad. And my husband doesn't have any um, 
you know, risk factors and no CF on his side. So I wasn't until the nurse came back and said she hasn't pooped yet, and um, it was 24 hours. And um, my partner came in that following morning, um, and um, I just told him, I said, you know, our daughter hasn't pooped yet. He's like, that's okay. And I said, well, it's been 24 hours. Um, this couldn't be CF. And I just wanted reassurance. As a pediatrician, the first thing you want to rule out in, in babies that aren't, aren't doing well or that are sick is you rule out the big, bad, and ugly stuff. And I needed to rule that out in my mind. And, um, and there was no reason to suspect it. I mean, there are some babies that don't poop. Um, but at 24 hours, almost all of them do. And so um, I kept it to myself. Um, but by the time uh, the next day had followed, uh, she um, had thrown up and her belly was more distended. So we had transferred her to the local children's hospital. Again, I never mentioned CF, but um, until about day three, um, when she still didn't pass stool, she was clearly obstructed at that point. And I didn't want to bring it up to, I didn't want to voice the words in my mind or outside of my mind because I was just devastated if that was in fact going to happen. Um, but it was playing out that it was. Um, and so my husband, you know, he's a dermatologist, and so he doesn't really deal with children and didn't really think of cystic carbosis and didn't want to, you know, ruin the moment about bringing it up. Uh, so it wasn't until um, she actually had to go to surgery because it had been like day number six and no stooling so, um, and throwing up. So... Um, they did the operation, um, removed the obstruction, and then did the genetics on her. Um, the sweat test, but to, uh, can't do that for a newborn who doesn't sweat enough. So by the time right, the, right. Uh, the genetics came back, she was probably eight days old at that time. And I was visiting her. I was staying with her the almost 24-7 at her bedside. And, and I, by habit, would just open up her chart, which was right near her crib, and and so I saw the results right there on the chart and uh, Delta F508, you know, homozygous. And so it ha it, she had it. Um, and I just, you know, put my head down, was holding her with her IVs in, and I just started sobbing. Um, it brings tears to my eyes even, you know, thinking about it. But um, I'm sure, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Did you have um, any miracles that there was, was stuff in the works or did you know much about CF? Had you had a lot of kids that had been diagnosed with it in your practice? Uh, no, um, because um, I had a lot of experience in residency having trained at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. We had a big, large um, children's hospital and so our fourth floor was designated the pulmonary floor, which you probably remember talking to the doctors and the scientists about uh, CF patients all cohorted in the same on the same floor in the the playroom, you know, like that Joey O'Donnell did. This is all the way it was when I was training. And CF patients, um, there were a lot of them, and they were routine. You know, they were the frequent flyers. You know, they would be in there a lot, and so they would be wearing their normal clothes because they were in for their tune-up. And as a resident, you're assigned you know a good number of patients, anywhere from you know 15 to 20 patients. So when you were assigned your CF patient, they were easy because they had the same regimen, was basically treatment three times a day. You know, there was, you know, your maybe some IV fluids, IV antibiotics, and then they just had to be in the hospital getting their treatments um, for so long. They were super easy. 
patients to take care of uh, because they were um, kind of just getting cleaned out. But unfortunately, I had um, a patient who was 16, and she was in the end-stage CF. Uh, and so she was um, uh, very sick, and they kept her on the regular floor because there was really not much more that we could do for her other than being on oxygen. And, and she passed away. And so she was one of my patients, and that was my first year of residency. So... Um, it really hit me hard um, that that was the first, first patient that um, that looked and appeared to be somewhat normal that I didn't experience a death with, and I didn't think the disease itself could look on one side of the hall where kids were, you know, running around saying, okay, I'll be right back, I'm going to be in the playroom, to the other side of the hall where a person with CF had just died. Um, so it was a very, very much of a roller coaster of emotions as a resident taking care of them. Uh, and then, of course, when you leave residency, you know, and you join, you know, a general practice, uh, CF is rare. And um, I never really thought about it much after that um, until um, Jennifer was in my arms and I had to rule it out <laughs> as my, wow. my daughters. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. But that's a story that the residents that uh, in my day from, you know, gosh, from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, that's how it was. Uh, and then we've learned so much uh, since the late 90s even and uh, the way CF patients are managed today, even managed 10 years ago. Uh, just so much different and, and so great, thank God, that we've learned. The patient registry has been such, a, you know, a goldmine of information that, has been so beneficial for the patients with CF and for the doctors to care for them. Because as a resident and as a young pediatrician and as a mom, having a CF child, it was really frustrating when I would bring Jennifer in every month uh, because she would have frequent obstructions. And, you know, there was something I knew that wasn't quite right. And it was like, we need to tweak this, tweak that. And when I would, would take, take her into the CF clinic, um, there wasn't a whole lot for us to do differently. You know, added some medications here and there, but it was so frustrating because um, I know that we couldn't do anything that was going to make a big enough difference to change the pattern and change the progress of the disease. And um, so, you know, I, every CF clinic visit, I think I cried at every single one of them until... I had to hide my tears away from Jennifer when she was about four or five because she realized this visit made me sad, and, uh, and I thought I was hiding it pretty well, but I wasn't. <laughs> Jennifer was pretty, pretty astute to all of that, and she, she just loved one of the visits. She just looked at me, and she said, um, Mom, I'm going to be okay. And she was young. She was probably, probably like five or six years old. So then I knew I had to change my outlook and I had to change my, my way of thinking and enjoy every day because you never know, you never promise tomorrow. Well, oh, that's sad. <laughs> Big change today. I mean, gosh, what CF parents go through today as compared to, you know, it's still tough, but there's so much promise. And I think that's what I'm just so grateful for, that, that you know, parents won't really go through those things. Um, they're still going to have complications and problems. But they really won't go through the devastation that, that parents in the past have gone through. So, and that's all, you know, we're all grateful because of all the scientists that really have changed, changed the way CF, CF is today. 
Mm-hmm. That's that's an amazing thing that you can see that transition and mm-hmm. and experience that joy for for Jennifer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I will say, like, growing up having my mom as, like, basically one of my doctors and my mom has benefited me so much, and I definitely do not give her enough credit as much as I should. Um, but, like, I haven't been hospitalized except for, like, outpatient procedures since I was about two or something. Like, getting my G-tube placed was, like, one of my last hospitalizations, but I do my IV therapy at home whenever I needed it. I haven't needed it in the past four years, but like when I did need it, I would get like a central line placed or a pick line placed and then just go home and do my IVs there. And so I was, was not the hospital for more than just a day. And so that definitely has helped keep my infection low. And my mom has always been super astute to symptoms that I was having that maybe I didn't even notice because it happened like, if my cough increased, sometimes I wouldn't even notice it, but my mom could tell the difference. So um, having her as my doctor and my mom basically has helped so much to keep me as healthy as I am. Um, for the, like, I've had some bad part, like, some bad infections, but my mom has kept me as healthy as she possibly could through all of it. It's a testament to your mom, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, well, thanks. For sure. You are my bigger, my biggest and best patient ever but I didn't want to have my daughter as a <laughs> patient that's for sure <laughs> yeah. but now you're well, taking care of yourself so you've graduated you're doing awesome Take, now Jennifer takes care of all of her, her meds and she's, she's doing great so yeah it's kind of it's second nature pretty much now I almost forget sometimes that it's not normal for a 19 year old to do all the stuff that I do I'm like oh yeah this isn't what an average person does like I'm cleaning my masks right now and I just did treatment I'm like, oh, yeah, that's not normal. <laughs> that's not what everyone does. <laughs> um, and so kind of talking about, like, CSKDF, obviously my mom experienced that with me and um, in her training. Uh, did you, Dijal, did you, like, uh, I know you spent time with so many people, but did you spend time with, like, CF people specifically to kind of learn their life, or was it more focused on, like, the research and scientific aspect of it all? I heard a lot of it from... Um, the point of view of patients, but over the phone um, mm-hmm. or over the computer, um, just just to avoid any risk of infection. Um, mm-hmm. And I also got to spend time um, in clinic with um, Mike Boyle, who's now the the head of the CF Foundation, mm-hmm. um, seeing how he worked with his patients. So I did, but. Uh, not one-on-one, just together. Yeah, um, that's that's cool, though. I think it would be interesting to be able to spend time um, kind of with Dr. Boyle and, like, his clinic. That would be really interesting to see. Um, obviously, I couldn't do it because I can't be around all the people, but um, it, it was definitely – it was nice to hear all the different sides of it that wasn't just my story and my side. It was It was very interesting to hear different people's stories, that I could relate to because I love hearing CF stories because there's always certain things that I can relate to that I never get to talk about because I don't talk to other CF people much. Um, and so we all have that bond of stuff that we go through, but we can't actually hang out and talk about it. Um, so it's, I love hearing other CF stories because there's always something that I can bond um, to with 
bond with them about the story, and I just, like, love that part of it. That was actually a really interesting part of this, you know, hearing about when kids could be together in the same playroom and all of Mm. that during Joey's time and how different and isolating it can be now. Um, And also just the way that I had to do the interviews with um, people who had CF over Skype, over the phone, you know, keeping that distance, um, it was, it was difficult and it was, it really made me realize, you know, what patients go through with this disease. I also got to see a little bit of the therapy at Mass General. Um, mm-hmm. So that was, that was interesting. I saw a little bit of it at Children's Hospital in Boston when I first started reporting the story. But I talked to a lot of families and a lot of parents and a lot of physicians. So you know, I got to hear the perspective of a lot of different types of people as well as a lot of mm-hmm. different characters in the story. Yeah, that's that's definitely so cool. Um, and I remember hearing at the beginning of, like, the book talking about how, um, like, the, the physical therapy that the kids would go through. Um, obviously, now I have my – I have a monarch vest, so I just put my vest on and that kind of does it for me. Um, my mom would tell me stories about when I was a little kid before they had the vest and when I was too small to have a vest. Um, she would be at the park with my little brother, <laughs> with my with my brothers, um, just, like, pounding on me, just, like, doing my therapy. And, like, to us it's normal because that's what you have to do to breathe. And parents were looking at her like, what are you doing to your child? Like, that is not okay. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I'm just, like, you know, this is what I have to do. So I just. I think those stories are so funny because we get so used to CF life when people look in on it from the outside. They're like, that is insane. Like, that's what are you doing? I think I was going to be reported by CPS, Child Protective Services, the way they were staring at me. And I'm like, no, this is my normal routine with my daughter. Like, you can hear from across the, the park. Of, yeah, the amount of work that the parents had to do in the, in the 70s all the way through, I mean, still with some kids now, uh, the amount mm-hmm. of time they spent on therapy was just shocking to me. You know, it, it's just such, it changes the fabric of the family. It changes, you know, what the parents can do. And their dedication to their children was just so touching. And it it, it was, in some cases, it was tragic and it was it made it moved me so much. I can't imagine spending say six hours a day on therapy as they did you know with Joey um, mm-hmm. just you know my heart and my you know my thoughts go out to all those parents, and I'm so in awe of what they've done for their children. It was something that i I really wanted to capture in the book mhm. Mm-hmm. It, it definitely, I could kind of see it being captured, especially like when I loved hearing how you had Joey's story in it as well as the science because it kind of brought you back to like seeing it from like an actual story and like a certain person's point of view. And I thought it was so, I loved it because it was so true how when you're friends with a CF person speaking from a CF person and my friends, you kind of like, once you spend enough time with us, like you get used to the treatments and stuff we have to do. Um, and so when Joey would, like, be hanging out with his friends and then he would do, like, his physical therapy and, like, someone would come over and hang out with him while he was doing it, um, definitely, like, I can, like, speak to that. I have, I mean, I do my best now, but I have friends who, like, 
they like hanging out with me when I have my best because I sound very different and I sound very weird with it on. And everyone wants to try it on. It's like a party trick that we have. Um, but <laughs> everyone thinks it's so fun. So I'm like, yeah, it's fun, except for we have to do it twice a day for your whole life. But um, so I know, like, people, once they kind of get used to it, it's like, it's almost normal for them, too, to, like, see me doing that. Um, but what I thought was really funny, I'm not even funny, but, like, interesting, was with one of the physical therapists when he started doing it, he was talking to a doctor, and I can't remember the name, I'm so sorry, but he was talking to one of the doctors, and he was like, it's so weird, like, when I, before I did the physical therapy, he was, he, like, listened to the kids, and he was saying, like, he could hear them breathing, like, he could hear all those, like, snap, crackle, pop, kind of like breakfast retreats and all that stuff. And then afterwards, he's like, I can't hear it anymore. And the doctor was like, you're not listening to enough healthy lungs. Like, you're not supposed to hear anything. So you're like, they're getting better. It's just the whole getting better is them. you're not supposed to hear anything. So I thought that was really, really funny because, like, when he couldn't hear anything, he was like, this isn't normal. John Nadeau, uh, who was Joey's therapy therapist, was just such an amazing person to talk to because he, mm-hmm. he talked to Dr. Schwachman, who was the one who made so many early breakthroughs in the disease. And it was such a pleasure to learn, you know, what Dr. Schwachman was like as a human and as a physician. And then, you know, how he transferred this knowledge to treating Joey, who was one of his Mm -hmm. earliest patients. So that was a really, that was a really special interview that I did for this book. Yeah, it was, I loved hearing it, and it, it was just so cool how how we said earlier, like, everyone kind of gets brought into it, um, and, like, it, everyone just becomes one big family, which I love. Yeah, I could totally see that. I mean, every doctor you describe, um, even the scientists, it's like, it's like you know them. Um, you become part of the story um, as you can relate to the parent, to the physician, to the child, and um, it's, it's just a, a really, thank God that the story has, you know, progression throughout it because I have a book that's called The 20th Cystic Fibrosis in the 20th Century. And it's a big, you know, volumed book. And, you know, I have it on my shelf and it's like, I never wanted to crack that thing open because it's like, why would I want <laughs> horrible disease that I'm living with? God forbid, I'm just not going to even open that. And now it's like, this book is such a refreshing, you know, you know, wonderful, refreshing, refreshing area of, of hope that it just makes me feel uh, such a big reason to smile. It's just, uh, anyway, so it's, it's one of those things that I think I'll be keeping a couple copies of your book so I can give it to other people as gifts. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That is great to hear that it resonated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was talking to my brother because he, my older brother, he, um, he might go into medicine. He's like looking, he's pre-med right now. And I was talking to him, I'm like, Dave, like, you should really read this because he, I think he would find it very interesting, the science of it all. Um, but I like when stories like that, even like when Five Feet Apart came out, I like having my friends kind of um, read those or like even watch that movie because it shows them a diff, like at the side of where I live without me having to tell them. Um, so they kind of understand it without me complaining about all the stuff that I have to go through. <clears throat> so whenever they like learn start that part of it, um, they're always like, oh, my gosh, that's so amazing. I never went, know that, <clears throat> or I never knew that you went through that. I'm like, yeah, it's just kind of like I get so used to it, and I don't like to complain about it to my friends. So when I have, like, friends that read it um, or watch the movie or if they read the book, it's just another level that I can talk to them about stuff without me having to be, like, complaining or, like, going on about all the stuff that I have to deal with. 
So I like having another avenue that they can learn about it without me having to just flat out tell them like all the stuff that I do. That's great. That's great. It, it sort of frees you up to talk about other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. <clears throat> um, all right. Well, I kind of, that's pretty much everything. all the questions that I have. Mother, did you have any, anything else that we didn't talk about yet to be wanted to talk about? Well, what's your next project, Vigil? <laughs> well, <laughs> can't wait you know, your next C- C- CF is part of my life now, too. So I am actually mm-hmm. um, looking into, you know, following this story further because there's a lot of work still to be done. There's the path to the cure. Yes. So I am following that story. And, uh, you know, the, my my daytime job, so to speak, is, is I'm a science and technology editor for the conversation. So I am doing a lot of editing on COVID stories. So mm-hmm. <laughs> at cool. least for the, the near term, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm covering COVID, but CF is, is still in my heart and, and on my mind. So I'm, I'm continuing with it, continuing the story. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. It, it was definitely kind of like um, funny to me how at the book, um, like when I was reading it, I was always like, I wonder how it's going to end, even though I know how it's going to end because it's life. Um, but I was always kind of bummed. I'm like, dang it, it's not going to end with like a full like resolution of like a cure, um, which would have been like obviously the best ending. But um, I'm definitely interested to hear um, kind of once there is a cure, the progression of that, like if you do do another book about it, I would definitely love to read that because, <clears throat> sorry, um, because <laughs> It was so interesting to hear everything up until now. So I'd love to hear everything up until when that happens. And hopefully by that point, I'll understand it just a little bit more than I do now. <laughs> I'm sure you will. And I actually am pretty convinced that the way the foundation's going and, and the pace of research, I believe it will happen. I don't know when. I wish I could predict that. That would be a great skill. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to keep following the story because it's, so exciting and I and I believe there will be a cure and scientists will develop one and this will be yet another first for cystic fibrosis and and for mm-hmm. progress in medicine. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely sure. it's definitely forged a path that they're lead, you know, the CF Foundation and just the disease itself is is a disease that people really know a lot about uh, and then now it will pave the road for other diseases to have better understanding. So it's it's uh, it's it's a it's a great uh, story. It's a it's a great mission that we're all on, and I think we're all going to be there and see to its end. Yes. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me. I it was so nice to be able to talk to you um, because, like I said, I loved reading the book. Um, is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you wanted to mention, um, or anything else that you wanted to say? Well, I, I certainly look forward to the time when we can all get together and meet each other in person. That is, that is the one thing that I really wanted to do after writing this book. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, COVID disrupted everybody's plans. So I look forward to meeting, you know, more of the CF community after this book and, and continuing the journey. Yes, I'm yeah. definitely <clears throat> very excited to see everyone again. Oh, definitely. I think we're all 
really yearning to be together. I mean, obviously, we, we build on each other's energy. So this is, and this book has really brought an energy, it really has energized a lot of people. And I think for those people that know the story a little bit, will really even join in in our mission even more, having read your book. So I think you've done a great service to all of the CF community um, and the scientists. So I commend you greatly for the success of your book. I think it's phenomenal. Thank you and so you much, to- and thank you, and thank you for sharing your stories with me. That it it uh, it's exciting and interesting and and heartwarming to to hear about other people's stories. It what it's what fuels me as a as a journalist. So thank you for for making this a two way conversation. Yes. <laughs> Where can people get your book? Um, they can find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, Indigo, uh, there, there are about six or seven vendors where you can find it. Um, but uh, if, you, if you want the full list, it's on my website, which is vigiltrevedi.com. Perfect. And it's on yeah, Audible. And I will, yeah, it's on all those sellers. It's easy to find. You can just Google breath from salt and uh, it'll pop up. Oh, I want to ask you, tell me the name of the, the title of the book. How did that come up? You know, I really wanted a beautiful literary title. Um, you mentioned that book, Cystic Fibrosis in the 20th Century. I also have a copy of that book on my shelf, and I did not, <laughs> want, a t- I did not want a title that like that. And, you know, yes. this book is all about, you know, patients losing the ability to breathe because of lung infections. And the disease mm-hmm. is, of course, based on salt imbalance. And it was mm-hmm. really, as I, I saw this as, you know, all these drugs were helping patients, you know, steal back their breath from this salty disease. So that's kind of how it came about. But, you know, I loved, I loved the sound of it. It sounded hopeful. Uh, it wasn't, you know, a real sciencey title, which I wanted to avoid. Because this uh-huh. is a narrative nonfiction book. It is supposed to be written as a novel, but, you know, be hard science and 100% true. So I, you know, the title was one place where I, I wanted some freedom and, and uh, mm-hmm. I took it. <laughs> no, I love it. Yeah, Thank I definitely, you. I love the title. Um, in the beginning, I said the whole long title was like, Everything, but yeah, short breath from salt. Um, and the cover of the book I love as well, because um, it's, it's literally lungs, and I presume that's like out of salt. So um, that I love just like looking at the pictures, just so cool to kind of tie um, all that together. And I love how like it's breath from salt because um, I think it wouldn't make sense unless you knew the disease itself, because obviously the whole salt imbalance is the issue um, with the CS. Um, what am I trying to think of? Mutation. Um, <laughs> yeah, that. Sorry. Um, but so with all of that, so I just love that whole connection. And, and the, I love the name and the cover and the book itself. So amazing. Um, so, yes, thank you for coming on here. I'm so glad we were able to do this. Um, and it was just it was great to talk to you and be able to hear just a little bit more about the story. And I look forward to meeting you in the future. Yes, definitely. I'm yes. excited to be able to In see person. everyone again. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so excited for that. Um, 
Okay, yeah, so thank so you for coming stay, on here. It was great talking to you. That's right. Stay healthy and safe. Yes, for thank sure. You. you too. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank, yeah, I'm so glad you're on here. You definitely added just another perspective and story, which I like, love to hear. Good. Sorry I got but, emotional. Yeah. I didn't expect it. No, it's all good. Because um, it's, it's true. It's raw. You know, that's like what we go through. Um, obviously, like, growing up with it, I don't get as emotional about it at certain times because, like I said, it's all I know, and I didn't always see the worst of it. Um, yeah. But, like, you saw it from beginning to now, and, like, even before I was born, you saw it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's just, like, kind of full circle. Um, and, like, like I said, like, growing up, I, I look at life just a little bit differently because of it, but, like, you've seen life before, CF and then like your life before CF and then your life with CF so mm-hmm. so it's just like a little bit different but because like I said to me and all every time I talk about it I'm like this is all I've ever known and this is all I'll ever yeah. know so I always look at it just a little bit differently than everyone else because of that yeah that's yep. right Jen that's the thing that you're reading it so that um, I don't know it just gives you a different perspective or um, I don't know it's just uh, it's really great I think it makes you whole you know and the thing I liked about the book, um, which I said as well, is, like, it is more scientific, so it helps me, like, after the whole 19 years of hearing what all my treatments do, and, like, you kind of, like, get sick of it, and you're just like, yeah, 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 I know. Um, hearing certain medications specifically, like, exactly what they do and, like, the scientific point of view of it, it kind of opens my eyes to, like, oh, this is the exact point of the treatment. This is why they created this. This is how they created it. And so all that stuff just kind of, like, shows me why I'm doing it and what it's doing to me specifically. And I just thought that was really cool. And I liked hearing yeah. that point of it. Yeah, it gives you the logic behind it, you know, instead of just the, the routine of it because it gets so darn old. You lose the significance of it. You know, so why, why do I have to do this, you know? Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, Mother, for coming on here. And thank, oh. you, thank you for everything that you do for me. Oh. <laughs> Jen, I would do it again in a heartbeat. All right, well, thank you guys so much for listening. I loved talking to Bajal and my mom about this story, this book, and I just love talking about CF uh, with people who had different perspectives. So thank you so much for listening because, you know, life is short and so am I, and I'm just trying to make the most out of every day, and I hope that you guys do too. I hope you have a great journey and you make it an epic one. Well, you better know the bottom if you want to be a climber. Cause there's always another one a little bit higher Just when I think I'm finally done I'm staring at another